looking to step up to the microphone, where we step up for our faith in walking out God's commands and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope you're having a great day. All right, welcome. Uh, pastor of the church I used to go to told me I needed to read Galatians because my theology was wrong. I had no clue what I was talking about. Well, I read Galatians. I read it. But, you know, whenever I read it, I got historical context. If you don't have historical context, you can make whatever you want up. Uh, that's just being 100% honest, accurate, you know, without historical context and without digging into the text the way we're supposed to, we can come up with any lawless doctrine that we want. I'm not digging at the church and just stating the truth. So, here's our study, Galatians in depth. And we're going to start with Malachi 3 6. Because if you don't understand that God doesn't change, then yeah, you're going to make whatever you want up. For Yahuwah don't change, Malachi 3 6. In modern times, we have removed ourselves from the history and context of the Bible. We rely on man made theology instead of studying history and context surrounding the Bible to verify our faith aligns with Scripture. In this study, we will be incorporating the history of the Galatians and the events surrounding this epistle so that we can verify context. And context is everything. Seriously, if you don't have the proper context, you might as well be going, trying to go up creek without a paddle. You're, gonna, you're not going to end up where you want to end up. Or where you should end up. Might be where you want to end up, but not where you should end up. We must know who, what, when, and why, so we can gather historical context for the text. We need to know the people groups, their former customs, who could be influencing them when this happened, and why Paul is writing the letter. So first things first, we've bought into Yahuwah and the word changing, and this does not come from Scripture. Let's look at the Scriptures that prove this before we get into Galatians. And I pulled Malachi 3.6 out again from the Septuagint, and it says the same thing. The Septuagint is an older manuscript. It's older than the Masoretic text, which is used in most of your Bibles for the English translation. So the Septuagint is older. So I trust it more. But it says, For I am the Lord your God, and I am not changed. Again, he doesn't change. We need to quit buying into that lie. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That was John 1, 1 through 1-3. So the Word was with God at the beginning. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So the, the Son of God came and dwelt with us. The Word. The Word is the Son. Full of grace and truth. John 1.14 Okay, so if we know the Word came and dwelt with us, 
and he is the begotten of the father and the father only has one begotten son who is that that's jesus or i call him yahusha that's his hebrew name as i understand it uh, if you want to call him yahshua that's fine or yeshua or yahshua but i'm not worried about the contention of the name what i'm worried about is are we changing what he says to fit what we want? Because if we're changing what he says to fit what we want, then we have a problem. A huge problem. So Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Well, Yahusha, Jesus, is the Word made flesh. And told us that not one Aleph or Tav, that's one letter or one punctuation mark, would be removed from the Torah until heaven and earth pass away. Well, unless I'm living on Mars or Venus or Mercury or Saturn and the Earth is no longer in the universe and there are no heavens surrounding it and it's just this in its own little bubble now, then the entire Torah is still in effect according to this. So are we brazen enough to call Yahusha a liar? He is the Word made flesh. Are we brazen enough to call Yahuwah a liar? He is the creator of all things. Everything was created by him through his son. So are we brazen enough to call them liars? That's a very dangerous thing to do. I do not want to be on that side of things whenever judgment comes. I just don't. But who does our Messiah, or what does he define himself as? Well, in John 14, 6, he gives us an idiom that we must, we have to go to the three witnesses of scripture, which if to know who those are, you have to go to Luke 24, 44, and it tells you point blank, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. So John 14, 6, Yahushua saith unto them, unto him, I am the true way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. Okay, so... Since this is an idiom, we need to go and figure out what the way, the truth, and the life are so we understand who he's saying he is. Something the church does not do these days. I'm not, I'm not hitting them where it hurts. I'm just, if we're going to study, we need to study in depth. That means if he's giving you keywords for who he is, then let's look at the keywords. So the way, well, in Genesis 18, 19, listen to how he speaks of Abraham. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So it's the way is something you do. It's something we keep. Well, it, if you're not keeping the way then what are you keeping very very dangerous very very dangerous if you're not keeping the way so psalm 119 142 thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is the truth psalm 119 142 okay so hmm it just told me that the torah is the truth well yahushua said he's the truth jesus so is Jesus contradicting the Psalms? No. No, he's not. He's not. 
There's no way he could contradict the Psalms, or else that means he isn't the Messiah. So, I threw this in here so we could understand the... Because he said he's light, too. It's not in John 14, 6, but... And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Hmm. So the light was from the beginning. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. Oh, the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So, reproofs of instruction are the way of life. What are we being instructed on? Well, that would be the Torah. And I should have had Deuteronomy 32.46 in here. I will pull it up real quick and read it to you out of the Sefer. If you don't know what the Sefer is, it is a, it's a translation. And I feel it is a much better translation because they actually went in. They understand the text. They understand the historical references. So Deuteronomy 32.46-47. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to guard to do all the words of this Torah. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. So the Torah is supposed to be your life. It's how you get life. And we'll get into this, because Yahushua says he is the Torah. It, throughout the New Testament, over and over again. That's part of why he got crucified. And through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, whether ye go over the Jordan to possess it or not. To, to, to possess it. So that was eternal life speak right there because we know from history that they didn't possess they, they, they possessed it for a while, but they did not get all of the promised land. They got a little sliver of it. So we know he is the word from the beginning, and that means he's the one that gave all the commands in the original Hebrew scriptures. And from the previous slide that the word doesn't change, he is the lawgiver. He is the law. The words of the prophets and the word of the writings. He was there giving direction all those things. Believe it or not, he was there telling us, yay or nay, do this, don't do that. So now we need to know who the Galatians were. So who were these Galatians? Paul's writing to, what were their customs before entering the faith that they were slipping back into? What would cause them to fall back to beggarly ways? And what gospel was being preached that would lead one to being accursed? These are the questions we must answer to get proper context. So here goes. Who were the Galatians? The Galatians were a group of Celts that had migrated from Spain and the British Isles and were used by the Byzantine Empire to fight wars. They had migrated from the British Isles and they were part of the Druid tribes, if I'm understanding the historical references I've read. And we'll get into, well, it's right here, what holidays or festivals they keep. Historically, they kept the holidays surrounding the winter solstice and spring equinox, which are now called Christmas and Easter throughout the world, both dating back to the Babylonian Empire from the days of Nimrod. And you thought Christmas was about your Messiah. No, it's about Satan's Messiah. 
That's just the rock hard truth. It's about Satan's Messiah, his beast, the beast of Revelation, Nimrod. All these false sun gods all date back to Nimrod. All their stories go back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. Now, what would cause them to fall back into beggarly ways? We see in the text that a group of Pharisees came into Galatia preaching a different gospel, stating circumcision had to be the first thing done to gain salvation. The Pharisees weren't teaching faith. They were teaching, do all the outward stuff and don't worry about the inward stuff. Do all the outward stuff and don't worry about the inward stuff. Just So the Galatians were under a false delusion. They only had to get circumcised and boom, they're saved. You go back to worshiping the gods they'd worshipped before. Circumcision is a sign of being in covenant. These new believers were still learning the belief system and had not yet entered covenant. They were also trying to force oral traditions on the new converts in which Paul was having to fight like Yahushua did. The last step in entering covenant after baptism is circumcision. That should not be the first thing you do is get circumcised. You need to test out these scriptures and build your faith before ever getting circumcised. That is the last thing you do. Now, the first thing you do is you start circumcising your heart. That is an inward circumcision. That is what you start with. But the last thing you do is circumcise your pee-pee. I mean, Abraham didn't do it until he was 90 years old. He had been serving God for a few decades before he did it. So, it's just, God said to Abraham, as for you, you will keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It will be a token of, a, of the covenant between me and you. So, it's a sign of the covenant, Okay. He who is eight days old will be circumcised among you, every male throughout your generations. He who is born in the house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your off of your offspring. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. My covenant will be in, in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. The uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that shall soul shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So yes, you're going to have to end up getting circumcised if you walk into the faith. There's no getting around it. Covenants are forever. Just because Abraham died doesn't mean his covenant stopped. Okay? Just because Jesus died, Yahushua died, doesn't mean the covenant and the laws stopped. I mean, he told you that in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So, we have a warning from Peter about Paul. Therefore, beloved, seeing that you look for these things, be diligent to be found in peace, without defect and blameless in his sight. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, and those there are some things that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unsettled twist, as they also do to the other scriptures. To their own destruction, you therefore, beloved, knowing these things beforehand, beware, lest being carried away with the error of the wicked, 
you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So, just like everything else, all scripture, men twist them if they are not studied in them. So, I'm going to say this, this is going to sound, sound harsh. If your pastor is not studied in all of Scripture and is teaching you something that contradicts any part of Scripture, they are unstable. They do not, or they are ignorant. They're one of the two. We can't get around that. We must have a solid foundation on the Torah. And from history and seeing the Ethiopian canon, there are six books that I know of to the Torah, not five. We have five, but from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Ethiopian canon, the Book of Jubilees is Torah. If you have a chance to pick that up one day and read it, do it, because it will help explain and fill gaps. Now let's get into this. Chapter 1 of Galatians. The Galatians were turning away from the good news that Paul had brought them per verses 6 and 7. So they were turning away. You know, it's easy to turn away if you're not, if you don't have a solid foundation. So what was Paul teaching? Everyone says, oh, Paul was teaching the law was evil. The law was evil. Well, Romans, from Romans, we see he was teaching the Torah obedience through faith, not a sense of duty. Through faith, your faith should establish it. He was teaching us to trust the Father through the Messiah's sacrifice to obedience. If Paul were to teach something else, he'd have been cursed by his own words in verse 8. And I believe in Timothy, he says, if anyone teaches something else, then they aren't teaching the truth. Walk away from them. So, Romans 3, 29 through 31. Because this... And there were several more verses in Romans that prove he was teaching the Torah. If you sit there and get the context. But we'll, we'll use this. Because I know Romans 15, 18, he tells us point blank, he was coming to teach obedience to the Gentiles, not lawlessness. But, or is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed there is one God, not Three in one, he says, one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. We establish the law. No, we establish the law. He tells you, we establish the Torah. We establish it. Because what does the Torah do? do you, does anyone know what the Torah does? It protects you. It gives you a hedge of protection. I can tell you just from changing the to the dietary standards of the Torah, whenever I first started, it was a true blessing. Truly, it was. My skin is looking younger. I don't have the stomach issues I had before. I, mean, I still have some, but they're not as bad. But we see in verse 14 of chapter 1, he had been ardent for the oral laws of his fathers in Judaism. Judaism and Torah observance are not the same thing, or else Christ wouldn't have been crucified. 
if Christ had been observing the Torah, just the Torah, which is what he did, that's what he did. He just observed the Torah, and the Pharisees and Sadducees were just observing the Torah, and he wasn't going after their man-made doctrines, then he wouldn't have been crucified. If they didn't have any man-made doctrines, he would have ruled forever. So in verse 16, we see the Messiah was being revealed in Paul due to obedience by submitting his flesh. So Paul wasn't worried about the flesh. He was worried about obedience. He submitted himself. He said, this throne is not mine. It's yours, Yahusha. You take, you take the reign. And who is Yahusha according to who Yahusha said? He is the writings. He is the Torah. He is the prophets. He is his three witnesses, in fact. He told us exactly who he was and what he came to do beforehand. So Galatians chapter 2. Now here's the big thing about Galatians chapter 2. We have to understand Acts 10 and 15 in context. We can't make up whatever we want in this chapter, and most do. So we must understand the context of those first two chapters, of those two chapters first. Acts 10 was Peter's great sheep vision. If Peter were to say we could eat unclean things, then he would be declared a false prophet or teacher per De Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. Luckily, he gave us the context in, in the verses, in verses 34 and 35. Per Jewish tradition, it was wrong for them to eat with the Gentiles, a tradition which is held by most rabbinical Jews to this day. But here, I'll read Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3, so you, you understand where I'm coming from. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder, Yahushua gave plenty of them, Jesus did. Peter gave them. James gave signs and wonders. Paul gave signs and wonders. So, so this applies to all of them. And the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spoke unto you, saying, Let us go after other Elohim, which you have not known, and let us serve them. Let us break the Torah, because this God, this dude saying we can break the Torah and we'll still get salvation. Is basically how that's how we're supposed to understand that. <clears throat> you shall not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahuwah Elohim proves you to know whether ye love Yahuwah Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul. So this was this is the test right here. I'm gonna go ahead and read verses four and five because they're very important as well. Ye shall walk after Yahuwah and fear him, and guard his commandments, and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him, and cleave unto him. So we're supposed to cleave unto him. And that prophet, or th that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he has spoken to turn you away from Yahuwah which brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust you out of the way which Yahuwah commanded you to walk in. So shall you put the evil away from the midst of you. So there's a death penalty involved, too. For leading people away. A death penalty. Maybe I should have put the glass case of emotion thing in there from Anchorman right there. But Okay, Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. I've had two pastors tell me, you need to read Acts 15. That tells us that we just have to do these four things. So I was like, so that means I can go murder someone? It's okay with, with the father? I can go commit adultery and it's okay with the father? I can go steal and it's okay with, oh, that's not what it says. Okay. Okay. 
Acts 15 was the Jerusalem Council in which Peter had to open James in the Pharisees' eyes, again repeating the meaning of his dream. What was the meaning of his dream? No man is unclean. No man is unclean. Per the dream, it wasn't you can eat whatever the hell you want. It was no man is unclean. No man is common. Okay, so that's the, the meaning of his dream in verses 34 and 35 of Acts 10. So in Acts 15, James gives four Torah commands to start with because the law of Moses was taught in the congregations in most major cities at that time. So he was telling them, hey, look, start with these four things. Just start with those. If we can get you past those, this is the milk. We'll work you into the meat. The church believes they're in the new covenant right now. Because, oh, Israel's back in the Middle East. Israel's back in the promised land. But here's the problem with that, that whole scenario. The whole scenario, Israel's being attacked every day. When the new covenant's in place, Israel won't be attacked every day. We have the down payment on it. We have the down payment. But we don't have the full effect of it yet. If we had the full effect, Israel would not be attacked every day. Torah observers wouldn't be attacked every day. Just, just heads up. But the new converts had to go and learn the law to put it on their hearts. That's why I'm saying all that. It wasn't just automatically put on their hearts like most think today. No, it's not automatically put on your heart. The day that comes is the day that, you know, I'm just going to be point blank. That's judgment day, most likely. I'll study it and verify it again and again. But most likely that's when you get your new body. And the people that get to go into eternity are going to be able to obey without even thinking about it. It's just going to be, I don't need to eat any bacon. Okay, no bacon. Not a problem. No shrimp. Okay, no shrimp. Not a problem. Oh, keep the Sabbath. Dude, I'm all over that. I will gladly keep Shabbat. Shabbat is awesome. Right now, it's like, you want to do that Shabbat thing? What's wrong with you? Shabbat was done away with. You know, read Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 continued. So the circumcision party of the Pharisees had arrived telling the new converts the only way to salvation was circumcision. Furthest thing from the truth. It is. Again, circumcision is a sign that you are in covenant. It is not a sign of salvation. Paul lets us know that Yahuwah shows no partiality between persons. He could care less about lineage. He cares about the heart and relationship. Now, he does care about lineage, but he gives... Ever since the beginning, he's given people a way in to his kingdom. Ever since the beginning, you have a chance to get green a green card. A spiritual green card. That's, let's just call it that. A spiritual green card that leads to, to citizenship. The circumcision is your citizenship approval. Once you do that, you're in. You're in, in. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Y'all don't take it out of context. But... Right now, we're, we've got spiritual. We, we're we've got spiritual green cards. We have to learn the laws, just like in America. You apply for citizen citizenship, 
you get a green card to begin with. You have that green card, you study the laws, you have to take a test. Same thing with the kingdom. Same thing. You have, you're going to be tested. What are you going to be tested on? Your works. Where are you doing the works? Part of the works is believing Messiah came. That is part of the works. Yeah, Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 22. Read that. It tells you that that's part of the Torah. You have to believe in him. And Abraham believed he was coming. How about that? Moses believed he was coming. David believed he was coming. How about that? But yeah, Yahuwah doesn't care. He wants heart and relationship. His Israel, and this is in the first chapter of John, is not of flesh and blood. It is of spirit. In other words, it's the ones who give up the things of the world to obey. So we see also in chapter 2, Paul rebukes Peter for following the oral traditions. Even Barnabas had been swayed when James and the, these Pharisees had came in. So it was bad, y'all. It was bad. Paul had to tell them, you know, by you doing these things, you're trying to get them to convert to, to the way that Yahushua taught us, but you're acting like a Pharisee. Of course, he has to put circumcision, uncircumcision, Jew, Jew, Jew. You know, it could have been written much better. Or it could have been translated. It, maybe it was written much better and we just have poor translation. I don't know. I'll have to dig into it again. In verse 16, we see faith in Messiah should show fruits of obedience. Torah obedience without faith is worthless. James says the same thing. James comes from the opposite end of the spectrum, though. James says... Faith without works is worthless. Paul is saying works without faith is worthless. You see, they're saying the same thing, just from opposite ends of the spectrum. And James was entrusted with more than Paul. So we should really, really think about that. Verse 17 makes it clear to, that to keep sinning willfully doesn't mean Messiah okay sin. No, he repeatedly, it was repent. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Follow the law of God. Don't do the sin anymore. Repeatedly through the Gospels. Verse 19, in belief, which leads to actions. In Messiah, we die to the curse of sin in the Torah, which is death. That is the curse. The, the Torah is not the curse. Get that out of your head. Read Deuteronomy 28. It shows you the curses and the blessings of obedience. It all ties together. I mean, I keep hearing, the Torah is a curse. It's so burdensome. It's so burdensome. It's so burdensome. It's so hard to do. Actually, it's quite simple. 1 John 3, or no, 1 John 5. I'll pull it up real quick. 1 John 5. For this is the love of Elohim, that we guard his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. That means they're not hard, y'all. They're easy. So we'll get into chapter 3 now. Chapter 3 starts off hot. We must get a biblical definition right off the bat. The definition of biblical truth. We get that from Psalm 119, 142, Psalm 119, 160, and John 14, 6. 
So Yahusha is the truth as well as the Torah. They are the same. Yahusha is the embodiment of the Torah. Don't let anyone tell you anything any different. And don't let them say, oh, he did it all, so I don't have to do anything. That means you're a lazy welfare recipient in the kingdom. And I understand there are no welfare recipients in the kingdom. Verse 2, Paul rebukes them heavily for choosing the works of the flesh over works of faith. The Torah is all about walking in faith. It always has been. Paul calls it spiritual in Romans because it is. You have to trust God. You have to trust that what he's saying is good for you. And his covenant is you agree to do what I say and you do it. That's the covenant. Well, he said to do the Torah. In verse 6, he mentions Abraham was reckoned righteous with righteousness for belief. And we must get a complete clarity on this, as in other witnesses. Because the church likes to use just sections of Abraham, of what it says about Abraham. So we're going to get complete clarity on this. Complete clarity. Yes, his belief did earn him righteousness, but why? Why? Why did his belief earn him righteousness? Let's read James 22, 20 through 23. But do you want to know, vain man, that faith apart from works is dead? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in that he offered up Isaac his son at the altar? See that faith worked with his works. And by works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? The faith worked with his works. They worked together. That's like me going and changing over to the Levitical diet. My faith is working with that. They work together. It's like, boom. It's, it's unbreakable. And it blesses you. My faith coincides with my works. My, my belief should show signs of my works. If it doesn't, I have no belief. So Genesis 26, 4 through 5. This is most likely where James got this. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the sky and will give all these lands to your offspring. If your offspring will, in your offspring will all the nations of the earth be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my requirements, my commandments, and my statutes, and my laws. And the church tells us, that the Torah didn't come until Moses. How did Abraham have the laws of God before Moses? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. It's all about the covenants. Abraham's belief led to obedience, not lawlessness. We even see Abraham had God's laws well, and it was his faith that led to his obedience. This is our model for belief. Abraham is the model, people. So Galatians chapter 3, uh, in verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is he who doesn't uphold the words of this law by doing them. All the people shall say amen. Did you get that? Cursed is he who doesn't uphold the words of this law by doing them. What does Romans 2, 13 say? Don't be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Right there. Cursed is he who doesn't uphold the words of this law by doing them. All the people shall say amen. 
He followed that up with verses in verse 11 with Habakkuk 2.4 and Leviticus 18.5 in verse 12, both stating the righteous shall live by belief by doing the law of God. Your belief goes with your works. Remember, belief goes with works. Verse 13, Messiah took on our curse by hanging on the tree. The curse is death from us sinning. We have, we're appointed once to die, people. Once to die. Our body's going to die. Are you going to be resurrected in eternal life or doom? You choose. Our transgression of breaking the law puts us under the law and the curse. That's what he means by under the law. You broke the law, so now you are suffering the consequences of being of breaking the law because now you are under it. You are under the ordinances of doing it, of breaking it. Performing the law through faith, the Messiah doesn't. You have to have faith. Faith. If you don't believe God is doing what's best for you, then you're not going to obey. If you don't believe God told you how to live a proper and correct life, then you're not going to obey. So we also, in chapter 3, we see covenants don't change because people change. They stay the same. Yahuwah's covenant has always been the same with everyone he's made it with. It's always been the same. It's never changed. You know, you agree to do what I say and you do it. That is the covenant. You can find that in Exodus 19. And the mixed multitude... At Mount Sinai, I agreed to that, and they didn't uphold it. Just because Moses wrote the Torah down at Mount Sinai does not mean the law has changed. Then or ever, the law has always been the same. The covenant never changed, just the people involved. So that's like you, what, what can, you rent an apartment. The apartment complex has rules. You can't have dogs in the apartment. Well, you decide you're going to go get yourself a shih tzu. That's a dog. They find out about it and kick you out. You have broken their covenant. You have broken their contract. It's a contractual agreement. You have broken it. By breaking it, you have gotten yourself the curse of that contract. You got kicked out of your apartment. Same thing. Now, Joe Blow comes down the road. Signs the same exact contract, same covenant for that apartment. He doesn't get a dog. He lives there for 30 years. Do you see? That's how a covenant works. So, continued. Chapter 3 is continued. In Galatians 3.21, he lets us know the law is not against the promises of Yahuwah. And it's not. It actually brings us into the promises of Yahuwah. And we're all under sin until Messiah comes back for those who believe in him, a belief unto obedience. On our next slide, I will show you the Hebrew perspective of faith. It is different than our Greek Western mindset. Verses 23 and 24 teach us that the law should bring us to Messiah by teaching us right behavior. The Father's behavior. This is how the Father expects us to behave. We don't forget what we learn from our tutors. They teach us and we apply that to life. Just because you don't have a tutor anymore doesn't mean you're going to forget what they taught you. The tutor is there to teach you. So the, the law is there to teach us. And we are to walk it out. Yeah, we're, we need to... And you're going to go back and study what the tutor taught you, okay? You always do. 
I remember I had a tutor for math in high school. Lovely lady. I went to church with her back when I was doing Sunday church in high school. Uh, her name was Miss Mohan. Lovely lady. I still had to apply what she taught me. I still apply it to this day in the field that I work in. I mean, you still apply what you learn from your tutors. It's not that hard to see. So the law is our tutor. It teaches us how to live right. And yes, sometimes we have to go back and read it again because we might screw up. We're human. We let our emotions control us sometimes. And we also see in chapter 3 that you are the seed of Abraham by your belief, obedience. Now here's our Hebrew definition of faith. Behold, he whose soul is not upright in him shall fail, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4 What does it mean to have faith from a Hebraic perspective? In our Western mind, faith is a mental exercise in knowing that someone or something exists or will act. For instance, if we say, I have faith in God, we are saying, I know God exists and do what he does what he says he will do. That's exactly the mentality we have nowadays. Oh, I know he exists. Yeah. He says he's going to end the world of fire. He's going to do it. He said he's going to do this. He's going to do that. That's, that's the Western mentality. Let's get out of that mentality. Because here's the Hebrew mentality right here. The Hebrew word for faith is immunah. Strong's number 530. Look it up. It's an action-oriented word meaning support. This is important because the Western concept of faith places the action on the one you have faith in, such as faith in God. But the Hebrew word immunah places the action on the one who supports God. So how do you support God? You obey him. You help take care of his stuff. This isn't your stuff. It's his stuff. Take care of it. This body is his as well. Take care of that. It is not a knowing that God will act, but rather I will do what I can to support God. <laughs> this idea of support for the word immunog can be seen in Exodus 17:12. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat upon it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands on one side, one on one side, and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So they supported Moses in that battle. You know, they supported him. Well, that's how we're supposed to be doing with God. We should be upholding his law to support him. It is the support, slashing immunal, of Aaron and her that held, that held of Moses' arms, not to support immunal on Moses. When we say, I have faith in God, we should be thinking, I will do what I can to support God. Very, very, very profound. Are you doing what you can to support your Heavenly Father? Are you? Most people aren't. Uh, chapter 4, where we forget context from the Old Testament. Context that his feast aren't for... We, we say his feast aren't forever because we don't understand that co the context. So let's dig into this by starting in Leviticus to see the instructions given Moses. We have already established Yahuwah doesn't change. So this is Leviticus 23.2. So speak to the Israelites and tell them, These are Yahuwah's appointed times, which you must proclaim as holy assemblies. My appointed times. So according to these verses, these are not the Jews' feast. They are Yahuwah's feast. Did you catch that? 
These are our Heavenly Father's feast. He wants to have a meal with you every week. He wants to have a convocation. He wants to enjoy time with you every Saturday, every Shabbat. He wants you to spend time in His Word and have a feast with friends and family discussing the Word and taking care of each other, building that forever, that forever community. You see, I highlighted those words when, you know, I did it on purpose. His appointed times. Those are his appointed times. They're not yours. They're not yours. You know, the Sabbath, we're not supposed to force people to work for us. We're not supposed to go to work. It's supposed to be a time of gathering. It's supposed to be a convocation. It's supposed to be a time of gathering together and loving on each other and digging into the word. Having a meal together. It's a feast day. It's having a meal together, digging into the word and loving on each other. And, you know, taking the pressure off the world by just resting and loving on each other. You must not eat bread, roasted grain, or fresh grain until this very day, until you bring the offering of your God. This is a perpetual statute throughout the generations in all the places where you live. Leviticus 23, 14. That was talking about the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's forever. Throughout your generations means forever. We are told the other feasts are forever as well in the same chapter. So now let's get into the context of chapter 4 of Galatians. Because now we know that the feasts are forever. So he can't be saying what we think he's saying there. Let's see. This is 1 through 7 speak of a child being under a schoolmaster. Think of this as a bodyguard to protect you. Which is basically what a schoolmaster was in the ancient Greek world. That's what it was. It was basically like a bodyguard. Paul's equating the Torah to being protection until Messiah came. That does not mean we quit doing the Torah. That means now we should know the Torah. The Torah still protects us, but we know it so we can use it to protect ourselves. Okay? Now, through Messiah, we shouldn't need the bodyguard. We should be able to apply the Torah due to knowing it and it be able for it to protect us through Messiah. So we are now children of Yahuwah. Now, verses 8 through 17. What feasts were the Galatians keeping? They weren't keeping Yahuwah's feast. Or were they? They weren't. No, they weren't keeping. They were going back to weak and beggarly elements. Is anything God does weak or beggarly? Anything our Elohim does, is it weak or beggarly? If you think it is, then we have a problem. Because he said those were his feast earlier, remember? But they were going back to weak and beggarly things such as winter solstice and keeping the spring equinox. Keeping better known as Christmas and Easter nowadays. They, it was called Ishtar, Ashtar in the ancient days. Saturnalia, Brumla for Christmas. And the entire world keeps these now. Even the Muslim countries are keeping Christmas. Did y'all know that? So how are we being set apart if we're keeping pagan festivals and even and putting our Messiah's name on them? We're not. Nothing Yahuwah does is weak and beggarly again. And to insinuate so is very dangerous. That is very, very dangerous. He was letting the converts know not to be ashamed of keeping Yahuwah's feast. Keep them. You have to remember, he was in a heavily pagan area teaching these people. He wasn't in Jerusalem, where it was 99% Jewish at the time. No, he was in 
He was in Galatia, where the Celts were burning their children in the fire, people. Come on. He was letting them know, don't be ashamed of it. He tells, us, tells the Colossians the same thing. Paul does this in other letters as well. Now, the fun part, verses 21 through 31. <laughs> Y'all might not like where this goes. It's an allegory, a parable. We must go back to the beginning of the chapter 4 to completely understand this, and it lines up with the wedding feast from Matthew 22 as well. Hagar's son was called. He was promised to be fruitful and multiply because he's Abraham's seed. But he wasn't chosen. The promise, though, came through Sarah and her son Isaac. Now, you need to go read the, the, the text from Genesis of why Ishmael got kicked out. He got kicked out. He got kicked out the camp. You don't want to be kicked out the camp. The bond woman was cast out because she and her son disrespected Sarah and Isaac and knew Torah but did not obey. We can see this in Hagar's actions towards Sarah. When Hagar became pregnant way back in Genesis, Isaac, on the other hand, kept the covenant that Abraham had made, making him the chosen seed, much like all the wedding guests that didn't get cast out in Matthew 22. He had spotless garments, but the one that didn't and was in dirty clothes got thrown out, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. The dirty clothes was sin. He didn't repent. He didn't come to Torah. He didn't, he didn't come to Messiah the way he was supposed to. He didn't have faith. He didn't walk into it. He didn't walk both in faith and truth. So both Hagar and the wedding guest that was in dirty clothes were cast out. That, that's what it's talking about. They didn't have the faith to obey, so they were cast out. Do you want to be cast out of the kingdom? Do you want to show up to the wedding feast in dirty garments? I don't. I want to show up in clean garments. Galatians 5. The yoke of bondage is not the Torah. Early in Deuteronomy, I think chapter 4, verse 6, it talks about how great the Torah is and other nations should be wanting to keep it. They keep parts of it. Don't murder Things like that, but the Galatians were going back in their old ways, serving false gods. Verses 2 through 4 was Paul letting them know getting the outward signs of Torah is of no effect if you aren't going to keep it out of faith. Doing the outward things for salvation, then going and participating in your previous ways of worship is of no avail. It, no, you have to have belief in Messiah and that he gives life through your obedience. Well, in the Torah, it tells you don't do as the pagans do. Don't worship the way they do. Just don't do it. But that's, they were going back to that. People, they were going back to that. Verses 5 and 6 tells us to seek righteous behavior through love. In John, we are told if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Going back to the truth. Psalm 119, 142. What is the truth? The Torah is the truth. John 14, 6. Yahushua is the truth. Yahushua is the Torah. He's the embodiment of the Torah. Verses 10 through 12, Paul lets the Galatians know to quit letting the circumcision party trouble them and quit listening to their traditions of men. Yahushua told them 
the same thing. Don't listen to the Pharisees when they're not in Moses' seat. When they're not teaching the Torah, don't listen to them. Matthew 23. Here's the words. Then spoke Yahushua to the multitude and to his Talmudim, saying, The scribes and the perishim, the Pharisees, sit in Moses' seat. And therefore, whatsoever he bids you guard, that diligently guard and do. But do not ye after their reforms and traditions, for they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You know, I'm going to plug a book right now. That's a good book. Let's see if I can't find it here. Is that it? Yeah. Here it is. Reading the Old Testament Through Jewish Eyes by Rabbi Evan Moffick. Um, Very good book. I plug it because it kind of helps you understand that that's what happens in the synagogue on Shabbat. They read the Torah. Messiah was telling them, listen to what they're speaking from Moses, but don't do what they do. They're not doing the Torah. They're not obeying. If you love him, you will obey him. If you love him, you will obey him. So quit letting traditions of men mess up your faith. Verses 13 through 14, very powerful, letting us know that we should serve one another. We're supposed to be servants, people. Servants. Not kings and queens. Servants. A true leader serves. And it quotes Leviticus 19 at the end of it. Leviticus 19, the golden rule. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that, did you? Leviticus 19.18, yeah. Now, verses 16 and 8 through 18 are speaking of submission to the Most High through the Torah. It's all about submission, people. If you are obedient to the Torah, then you are no longer under the curse. That's much like if you don't go 90 miles per hour through a 30-mile-per-hour speed trap, you aren't going to be pulled over for a ticket that would put you under the law, which would result in a fine. If you do go 90 miles per hour through that 30, you will be pulled over. You'll most likely be arrested and be put under the law. They might put you under the jail. That's what under the law means. We're all under the law right now, people. All. Everybody. Verses 22 through 23. No, wrong. Verses 19 through 21. Repeats Torah commands. Read Deuteronomy. That is basically like a Cliff Notes version of the Torah. It's not all of it, but it's the basics. <laughs> Those are also in Leviticus, Exodus, and Numbers as well. I'm studying Jubilees. Verses 23 through 23 are the result of living by faith. These are the fruits the Torah brings if lived out. The fruits of the Spirit. Do you know Enoch also gave the fruits of the Spirit in his writings? Just something to think about. Messiah called it called Enoch scripture when talking to the Sadducees about marriage. Verses 24 through 25, let us know if we submitted to the Spirit and killed our worldly lust. Through Messiah, we can conquer sin by living and walking in obedience through mind over matter. That's what it's all about. Do you trust Messiah? Is your mind going to control your body or is your body going to control your mind? Is you, your soul going to control your body or is your body going to control your soul? You choose. You choose. I'd rather my soul control my body. Life's much better that way. Yeah, people hate me and attack me. 
Ah, the Paul summary of Galatians, verses 1 through 2. If you see a brother or sister who have submitted to the Torah of Messiah, which is also the law of Moses, then don't be afraid to correct them. This way you bear one another's burdens and keep each other accountable. It's good to have an accountability partner. If you're walking in Torah and they're walking in Torah, and they decide they, they're going to go off the path for a bacon cheeseburger, say, no, 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 don't do that. You're breaking, you're going to hurt your body. Remember, there's a reason God wrote all this stuff, is to protect you. It isn't to hurt you. Verses 6 and 7, don't let knowledge inflate your ego. Be humble and meek while, and meek while, and make sure you are staying on the path. You reap what you sow. So if your ego, don't have an ego about it, people. You know, if they want to attack you and call you a heretic and a liar and you're going to hell, say, okay, that's how you feel about it. I love you very much. But, you know, I know the truth and I'm not walking away from it. You can keep on punching me in the face with, with all that stuff. Just be meek and humble. Correct them when needing needing to be corrected. Their eyes aren't going to be opened right away. You're planting a seed. That's what you're there to do. Plant a seed. Verses 8 through 10. The one who lets the flesh control them will not make it, but the one who can die to self will receive eternal life. That's huge. Are you able to die to self? Are you able to give up your shrimp? Are you able to give up going and hanging out with friends that are doing things they aren't supposed to do on Shabbat? So do all so do good to all, especially fellow believers. Especially fellow believers. Your brother or sister need a cloak, give them a cloak. If they are hungry, feed them. Verses 12 to 13 are very key. Paul lets us know the Pharisees that were getting converts in the flesh were only boasting and did not keep the Torah. They only wanted boasting your flesh. Sounds like both of them. I mean, it does. I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk about this. Verse 16 nails home the truth. And this, this is key. That once you submit to a Messiah and start walking like he walked, in perfect integrity, you're going to screw up. But in integrity in the Torah, you are now an Israelite sojourner. You've applied for your green card. You, you've applied for your green card, okay? Start walking like him. You walked it out perfectly. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Walk as I walk as I walk like Messiah walked. Paul told us that. John tells us. So in summary... Paul was addressing what the church now calls backsliders, who are going back to their old lifestyles. We see why, though, Acts 15, Jerusalem Council was a direct consequence of this, and now with proper historical context, I pray this helps you. These are the same types of people Yahusha, Jesus, fought over and over again in his day for being nailed to the stake. We repeatedly see in the four Gospels Yahusha rebuking the Pharisees for their traditions of men that they put over God's law. At the end of the day, we are grafted into Israel and should be acting like the Israel Yahuwah without abandon. I pray this has blessed you 